So I've recently been moving and organizing some audio files for the podcast, and I came across a conversation where I had asked some of my colleagues here at High Five about where and how they learned to facilitate. And so this is a conversation with myself, Anne-Louise Wagner, Ryan McCormick, Chris Danboys, and Lisa Hunt answering that question. But this is the piece I want to highlight, and it's the name of the episode, is that really what we were discussing in this was the importance and the power of facilitating with somebody else. Now, I'll let you go through this conversation, and you can hear the conversation. It's not particularly long. And then I'm going to add in some thoughts towards the end. So here we go. I have a short answer, which is like failure. <laughs> um, there's like lots of moments where I think that was the richest learning of trying something. Being like, oh gosh, that really didn't work. And I'm grateful in my role at High Five right now, where when something doesn't go as planned, I typically get the opportunity to do it another four times based on the routine that we have. But that going back in time, things wouldn't sit right or felt off or I could have done better and differently and that it was the experience failing and getting the support to fail and then to be able to hopefully apply that in a different way later on. Yeah, I would agree. It's definitely been uh, not about getting better at facilitating. It was being more comfortable with making mistakes mm. and letting those kind of just go. I think along with that, for me, it was about working alone so I didn't feel conscious of what others were thinking about mm. what I was doing. Oh, yeah. Co-creating so, is so when, you know, there's, we, we always complain as trainers about being on the road by ourselves, but there's a comfort in that, that you get to make the mistakes for yourself. You're the only one that knows the mistake or the challenge has occurred. And sometimes the group doesn't even know. You just know, but you're able to reconcile that in your brain without having that peer review process happening that probably does or doesn't really happen but it allows you to get beyond and get better. There's something to that, Chris, around uh, the co-lead piece, because I moved from where I really never wanted to co-lead. I remember early on just fearing that because of being judged or somebody giving me feedback that I really wasn't ready for or whatever it might be. At least it's nodding her head at me, which is some of the feedback I would get from her <laughs> in a co-lead. Uh, but I think now, and Louise and I spend so much time co-leading uh, and have developed such sort of trust and support for, for that, that now I, I think there's moments where I do find myself alone facilitating and I, I'm in this really nervous place and anxious, like, oh, is this going in the right way? Am I including everybody? Am I thinking about what I need to? And I think about, you know, the roles that we play in the co-lead. And when I'm missing those, my brain starts to wander, like, you know, and I get that more nervousness now when I completely relate to and I love that about training, like just me, I myself, no one's going to tell me I'm doing it wrong or not. I didn't have to explain everything. Why are you doing it? Because. I think it's interesting in the question, there's a difference between like what I, what I was taught and then what I learned, and, you know, and at first, my first go-to when you asked the question, Phil, was where was I taught the most? And I don't think that there's a correlation to where I am now and like what I was taught necessarily early on in my sort of formal training as a facilitator, like the principles that, that we all have to 
ascribe to to be good facilitators and like the good facilitator checklist and the eye contact and the speaking slowly and the don't bring your sunglasses and lots of stuff like that's what I was taught but I think what it takes for me to learn well is the environment that we have here at high five which is an, if there's an expectation that we're gonna check in with our own skills and styles and that that we're like of course we're gonna change our approach because that's what we do so I think it's that what allows me to learn the most as a facilitator is knowing that I'm not stuck in the identity that I bring to the organization or to groups. Well, what Lisa's doing this, she never does that. Like, you know, there isn't that. When we're training, we've brought this, talked about this before. Most of the time when we're training, we don't get the opportunity necessarily to allow the people we're training to do it. And so it's like, uh, I remember when I was taught to drive, my instructor was like, I'm going to teach you to pass the test, driving test, and then you'll learn how to drive. I think it's like that same notion with this kind of stuff that you pick up stuff just from doing rather than the skills piece of the training of like learning how to belay or tie knot. It's from tying over and over and over and over again. It's from belaying over and over again. It's facilitating over and over and over again. You start to get better. There was a part in my head when I was thinking about it is that there's parts to the co-lead piece that Ryan, when we when we would run programs early on when I first started contract, you would do something and I would be like, ah, but it was helpful. But I think you knew I could handle it. It was like you'd, we'd be in a group and we would not have discussed this and you'd go, okay, Phil, yeah, lead us through the sex activity. And I'd be like, ah, and I'd have to on the spot think of an activity in the group because I hadn't planned for it. <laughs> but it was kind of like, like pushing someone in the deep end, but not in a negative way. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I'd frame it that way, but I kind of, I've learned the most from having to have those moments where I just do it. I also wonder, like, I feel like I, I also, when we can train people in our craft and then watch them facilitate, that is a, sometimes a mirror into how we teach, right? And I wonder how that comes up with like student facilitators. And I find that if people are exactly quoting me or saying the things exactly the way that I am, something's been off. Yep. Like I've been giving the message that I'm the thing that you're supposed to like replicate, which is not true. You know, like watching people implement what we've taught. Okay, so let's go into some of these things in a little bit more detail. And I'm going to offer my thoughts on the applications, how to try to inform this form of learning into some of the work that you do. Maybe you are supervising um, some staff. Maybe you are doing the training for your own staff. But I want to add some thoughts here. The first is, as I was listening to this and reminded of this conversation, I was also reminded of the fact that even though my default was to actually say in this, in, in the audio, I said, oh, co-facilitating is hard. I think the reason I say that and I still sometimes think of it now because I'm still a trainer that does a lot of stuff on my own, is that there's a lot of anxiety around being open and willing to let somebody else see you facilitate because a lot of us have very authentic facilitation styles and we don't necessarily want to be critiqued on something that we think that we have really, really dialed. However, I want to highlight the fact that in most of us, myself included, in this conversation, I come back to it and say, oh, actually, I learned most of the things I learned from having somebody be there alongside me, either setting me some sort of challenge or having a thing on the spot. 
but also the opportunity to then talk about it after the fact. What happens with programming at High Five when we have the opportunity to co-facilitate? Now, I will say in direct service facilitation, we experience that more often. And when I say direct service, that essentially means that someone comes to our site and we are facilitating and we're not teaching. (laughs) Important that I probably add that information in. So when we're doing facilitating, when we are facilitating with more than one facilitator, not only do we have the opportunity to plan for that workshop or program collaboratively, so we get to add different inputs, not only do we not have to use our voice the entire time because we get to split it up a little bit, but the added benefit at the end of the program is that we both have information that we have gathered from that day and we were able to talk about it, reflect on it, and give each other feedback and see how we might be able to improve doing it again. It is something that our youth program team, who they we're called the Edge of Leadership, where they work with school students uh, embedded into the classrooms. They themselves, I mean, are embedded into the classrooms and they work with them year round, is that they repeat stuff so often. They work with every fifth grade class in a school and so they'll do the same set schedule and they get to have that repetition. Now that is very unique and I struggle to think um, outside of the school system how that might be possible for a lot of different programs out there but the benefit to them is that they get to have these moments of making mistakes being able to improve upon that again. Now think about maybe how your programs operate. Do you have the ability to be able to repeat stuff over and over again? And if that's the case, that's awesome because that gives you something to be able to mark against. Did this work the previous time? Okay, maybe we should change that. But also, do you have the opportunity to have a second or a third person there available to be able to then talk about it as a group rather than you reflecting on yourself? Because there have been plenty of times where I've led an activity on my own and it's flopped and then I've pulled it out of circulation. And then when I've pulled it back in, it's been a success. And I've been like, why did I take that out? individual moments don't necessarily dictate how successful that one activity might be. But on your own, it's very hard sometimes to really be super critical. Now, sometimes in individual trainings, and this is what we will do, is we will give evaluation forms. And sometimes that might give us information. But the reality is, if you do the evaluation forms at the end, most of the time, you're not going to get too much honest, negative, critical feedback. You're going to get a lot of positive stuff or maybe no comments at all. But also it's coming from a client and it's not coming from someone who may know as much or more than you do about the craft you're working on. Once again, the power of having someone be right next to you who's working alongside you, but then can give that feedback at the end. So all this to say that I think that if you really want to enhance your own facilitation skills or you're working as a supervisor and you want your staff to improve their facilitation, then I would highly encourage you to be able to figure out a way to ensure co-facilitation in your programming. I know for us at High Five, since we got into a model of doing that, it's going to be very challenging for us to relinquish that because we saw the enhancement that we were seeing in our staff just by having somebody there supporting and guiding and also then being able to give feedback in a really nice way for the whole program to ultimately succeed. And I can honestly say here at High Five, I myself have massively improved because of the people I've surrounded myself in and the openness I have been to receiving that feedback and asking for support. 
So as you listen to this and you think, how can I improve? If you're the only one in your program that does this kind of work, that's going to be very challenging because you're very isolated. And if you are in a site like I was, an example, when I used to work outdoor education, I used to be on my own and you'd get this group of 12 kids and you'd have them on your own for the full day and just bring them back for meals. And I wouldn't have the opportunity to either see how other people are facilitating and operating, but also no one would ever see what I was doing either. So it wasn't helpful for me and it wasn't helpful for newer staff when I was more experienced if I didn't have the opportunity to co-facilitate. I think sometimes we try to do that in programming and I hear that from people like, oh no, we, they, we allow them to shadow and we allow, there's this progression of training. But no, in our, in our work, in our facilitation work, we do co-facilitation as a standard. It's not, oh, this would be nice when we have the time. We make that the time so that we have those opportunities for growth internally. And this is different, right, than investing money into training and sending people to training. This is using those resources that you actually have around you, and that's people and experience and value in that experience and pairing up maybe an experienced person with a newer person. And your programs will probably be better for as well because your facilitators are less fatigued and less stressed because you're swapping and changing who's running what activity and so there's lots of benefits and absolutely understand the downsides too well we don't have enough staff and that's not really cost effective to put two for every group that comes once again it's considering what do you value do you want the program to improve and the quality of your staff to improve and then who knows maybe you can charge more because the quality of your program is so much greater than it was before time might be an issue at the start but i promise you it pays off in the end I know for a fact that it certainly does with our staff and every opportunity that we have to be able to do stuff together and work together is really, really, really beneficial. So rambling on co-facilitation done. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions for me or anyone at the High Five, please submit them. You can either go to at Vertical Playpen on Instagram and then you can direct message me and I'm happy to respond. I respond all things sent my way. So please do that. And or you can go to your email and email podcast at highfiveadventure.org. That's podcast at highfiveadventure.org. Same thing. If you ask any questions, happy to respond. Uh, get on a phone call if necessary or a Zoom call. Happy to do that. And I'll see you on the next one. Oh, before you go away, before you press stop on this, a quick thing. Go over to the little thing that says follow and follow this podcast and then just share this episode with somebody. If you're on a phone, share it with a colleague or something, someone you know and say, hey, you should listen to this podcast. They're pretty cool. And then in doing so, I will send you positive energy and love and a great respect for you doing me this community service of sharing this with somebody else. Oh, and before I go, one other thing, because my brain is just firing on, on all cylinders and remembering stuff very much at the last moment. But if you are attending ACCT, the Association for Challenge Course Technologies conference in a couple of weeks, then you will see me. I'll be there. We've got a booth, high five us a booth. I'm going to be wandering around saying hello to lots of people, 
and connecting with people I haven't seen before. But if you see me, I'll be wearing over high five logo wear or also vertical playpen on my, on my clothes. Then come and say hello. If you listen to the podcast, that's awesome. I'd love to connect. And I'm also going to be running a few workshops. So check out the workshop offerings. See if you're interested in anything I'm doing or any of my colleagues are doing. Lisa Hunt will also be there. Ian Doak, Jamie Thibodeau, Jen Ottinger. There's five of us going. I think that's five, right? Yep. There's five of us going. We'll be excited to see everyone. So if you see High Five Logo Wear, say hello, and we'll happily say hello back and have a conversation. Anyway, okay, that's enough. I'm done. Go about all of your other things that you have to do today, and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about, thanks for listening to High Five's podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>